Welcome to the Rockonomics Podcast, episode number 60. I'm your host, Dill, and today we welcome a guest who's put together quite a resume. It's singer, songwriter, producer, instrumentalist, Jim McGorman. Jim has played with a who's who in music, including the new Radicals, Michelle Branch, who, by the way, is the Michelle we are referring to in this interview, Paul Stanley of Kiss, he was in the house band for the TV show Rockstar in Excess, he was the music director for Weezer for a few years, and so much more. This is one of those guests I wish I had two to three hours with. I met up with Jim as he passed through town with the Goo Goo Dolls, and our conversation about his incredible career and collaborations went a little something like this. So thank you for... Uh, oh, of course. I always like getting the emails to say... Uh, I always feel like you know, information is, is... Education and information is really important. And I, I feel like people are... I don't know why they're reluctant to d- discuss certain things. I mean, I, you know, I, I find that annoying in many aspects of this business, you know, or, or even, you know, people talk about it in a, uh, a secretive way sometimes, you know, I mean, and I understand like leaking songs, those, those types of things, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's funny. It, it always is humorous to me when labels, uh, and managers, you know, they'll send a thing and they'll, you know, water market and you can't talk about it it's like look i get you know i i understand this business but we're not doing espionage here like <laughs> let's let's can we just talk calm down about you know uh the the secrecy of music or, or what goes on behind the scenes I and mean, i think it should be discussed so that people can understand it and if there are young people trying to get into this they can have a little little bit of a road map or you know try to connect some things and with the internet and all the things that you can Google, there's there's actually still very little information about the life of a side person or right, whatever right. you want to call it, or a you know touring musician, and you know maybe that isn't necessarily the founding person of the band or whatever, but does this with at a high level, you know, for mm-hmm. uh, for many artists, and um, so yeah, I'm always down to talk about it. You you've worked for a number of high profile artists. Are you ever? Um do they ever give you media training, or do they ever tell you no. shut up, or like this is you know let her answer the questions? Not, yeah, they they up. haven't they haven't gotten to me <laughs> yet. But although I you know I've learned a few things through, I'm very cautious with social media. Like I, I I'm and I very rarely post things. Um, also, I have a family and and I'm a father, so I take that responsibility really seriously, and I I don't. I choose not to kind of put my daughter out there mm-hmm. um, in those types of things. Um, and it's nothing against people who do. It's just not something that we wanted to do. And so I've, I've been pretty, you know, I mean, I'll reveal things, but I won't reveal things hopefully that will that will get me in, into trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, too, um, you know, there's it's nice to have a, still a bit of mystery in music. You know, I mean, yeah. things have evolved so much with social media. And I, and I know as a kid growing up in the late 70s early 80s you wanted that information so bad and yeah. you couldn't get it and you would you would take it i would have taken it i would have taken instagram back when i was 12 years old but you know hindsight being 2020 there is something that the artists that do still kind of you know have that veil still you know they still kind of, i think there's something to that to really sure. drive interest yeah. and keep interest yeah, well, I mean, how cool are you if you're showing everybody what you're having for breakfast every day? It's just not, it's just not cool, you know. Yeah. It's like, I mean, we didn't know, we didn't know which bands were English. We didn't know where they were from half the time, you know. Uh, we didn't know someone's sexual orientation. 
I mean, it was there was a lot of ambiguous information stuff and the way that guys would dress. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I worked with Poison. You know, and those guys when I was you know when I was growing up, I mean, they dressed like women. You know, and yeah. you didn't know what was going on. But you know, it was just interesting. You know, and I mean, there's some of that now, but there's just so many artists now. There's just so much music and so many artists out there. I when people ask advice it's hard because I don't I honestly don't know what breaks through the glass now because back 20 30 years ago you know it was getting signed by a major label was kind of the you know the Mount Everest of it and then once that happened then it put you in position to 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 do something Mm -hmm. because there were only a handful of artists that got that chance and then once you got there it was like okay you know, you make a great record and they will push you and, and hopefully and you'll work hard and you go out and, and the, the music will connect. But, I mean, with the technology now, I don't know how many albums get released every day, yeah, yeah. but I don't think you could live your whole... I don't even think you listen to it all. I mean, no. you couldn't. Well, there, I mean, I always say there's no gatekeeper. You know, as much as people hated the old system, it did, it did filter... It did a pretty good job. If, if you are good enough, you tended to, you know... Even if you hit roadblocks, you tended to find an audience yeah. sooner or later. Um, that being said, what did you grow up liking? Like, what were you know as a kid? What, I, I, I let me let me rephrase that. Did you want to like knowing your history that you went to Berkeley, you studied uh, engineering and producing? Did you were you thinking band? I want to be in a band. I want to get signed. Or were you thinking I want to be a professional musician? I want to play with the best or whatever uh, I always wanted to be a singer songwriter I mean I always wanted to to get signed and, and, and do my own do my own music um, that really the the music production and engineering thing was not something that was really on my radar only but being in the recording studio was mm-hmm. I didn't even really understand the differences between you know engineers and producers and, and things like that. I just knew I loved being in the studio environment. And when I went to Berkeley, which was a long time ago, um, there were only four recording studios and three that were really kind of uh, good, um, where you could make a record in. Mm-hmm. And so with only three studios, there's only a certain amount of hours in a day for each kid who wants to be in them to be in them. And so the way their program was, you had to apply to get into the music production and engineering program. So I think the first semester, first two semesters, you didn't even get in there. It was you had to kind of, or maybe it was at least the first semester, and you had to maintain a certain grade point average, and you applied to be a part of that um, program. And then once you got in, you were one of the couple hundred kids that got to use the studios. Right. So that's really the the main motivation was my main motivation because when I back then also there were liner notes and you could see okay this was recorded at you know this you know Sunset Sound in LA or this was at you know wherever it was the power station yeah and so you would see the names and you would see okay this guy played on this and this guy played on that and I wanted to see my name in in those liner notes uh, which we don't have anymore but um, that was that was why I kind of, you know, was interested in it. And then once I got in there, I, I started to really enjoy that process of making records and stuff. But, you know, and then I went to Berk, I went at, went to L.A., I thought, you know, I would be getting record deals and, and those types of things. And, 
And they, you know, I did get an independent record deal later, and I came very close with a couple majors, but, you know, uh, it wasn't in the cards. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I can also see now, you know, looking back, um, why, you know, some of the reasons why that that didn't happen and and the things that, that, you know, I would have needed to do to kind of make that a reality. And and to to be an artist requires a very special... Uh, set of, of personality traits and they all have to mix together in quite the right way for it to, to work itself out. Right. Um, I mean, some people, it just kind of mag- magically happens, but uh, other people have to kind of engineer it and manufacture it to, to, to get there. And <clears throat> I guess I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't in the cards for me, but, um, but I also did shift a little bit into the idea of just wanting to be a professional musician and mm-hmm. to be able to play and, and to, you know, kind of be in the room with all those guys. That was a, another shift because I, you know, I went into Berkeley having a pretty limited musical knowledge. Did you um, go in as a singer songwriter or as a pianist? You or? have, well, you have a principal instrument and then you have a major. So my principal instrument was piano. But I was also, you know, singing and playing guitar as well. But according to Berkeley, like I was just, you know, I only took, you know, piano classes right. there. Um, so, but yeah, when when I got there, you know, I, I really wanted to be a serious musician and, and kind of saw what that what that meant. And was it evident that the minute you got your diploma, it was to off to L.A.? Yeah, I, I had already decided. Well, we had gone. Um, a friend of mine, um, a couple friends of mine, and, and I had gone to L.A. during a spring break of, you know, kind of the third year or whatever. And um, I had always just had that in the back of my mind ever since I was probably 12 years old. Was that your first trip to L.A. as a human? <laughs> mm, I think I had been out there as a, as a kid, okay. like 14 or 15. I had taken a couple trips with my parents. But I always thought in the back of my head that that was the place that I wanted to be. Um, and so, yeah, as soon as I was like, got in the car and just drove out. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about your visit when you were with, you know, spring break at Berkeley. Did you guys like, I don't recall a lot of it, but I, <laughs> I, I, I remember, well, cause growing up in, you know, Philly, South Jersey area, I had been to New York a lot and that was, you know, to me, it was only three places that you go. It's, you know, New York, Los Angeles, and Nashville. And Nashville, especially at the time, was, was country. And right, right. So that was out. And so it was really either New York or Los Angeles. And I, I went to New York a handful of times when I was in college. And it just never felt welcoming to me. You know, it was an intimidating city, or is an intimidating city, I guess, for some. For me, it was. It just, you know, so all big buildings and you know, insanity with the, yeah. with the people, you know, walking around and cars and stuff. And when I went out to L.A., you know, the weather was beautiful and it was welcoming. The The sense of it was, was I felt, okay, you know, I can come here and, and, and this will be, this will be a place that I can, I can do something. So uh, that's all I really remember in terms of, I didn't, I didn't know anyone. Mm-hmm. I had no real contacts. And there was maybe one person from Berkeley who had, graduated a year or two before didn't have like an alumni and, and directory yeah the <laughs> they, I mean they have a, a, an alumni person there right. but uh, it was basically like one person and that was it and then you know I moved I moved out there um, right after school and another one or two of my friends came as well where did you stay and I only asked this out of the context of naming a show like this Rockonomics it's like did you know 
like how much how much money do you have in your pocket? Where did you stay? When I first moved out, or when I went on vacation? uh, Let's go when you first moved out. Uh, I got an apartment um, with uh, with my girlfriend at the time, and um, you know, and back then L.A. wasn't nearly as expensive as it is now. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't crazy. I mean, I don't remember what our rent was, but. I mean, it was probably 800 bucks. But did you go there and stay in a hotel for one or two nights until you found a place to live? Or did you find a place to live and and just move in kind of sight Probably. I think we might have done a hotel a couple nights. Yeah. Yeah, And then just kind of wandered around and found a place. It was quick, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty... Knew we were... We went uh, moved to the Valley, which was and still is a little bit more affordable than kind Mm -hmm. of the the main L.A., you know, Hollywood proper. And um, it's a little less crowded, and it's a little more... You drive a car that you had yeah, previously yeah, out there? Yeah, I drove out there in like a... I was like a 92 Trans Am or something. Oh, it was it's better. Classic, it's going to you know, give you like um, a Tercel or something. No, no. I, I, you know, I was like a Jersey guy, <laughs> so I kind of had like a Pontiac, you know. My, uh, yeah, I was kind of, you know, thinking back, it was pretty ridiculous. But it was, it was kind of fun at the time. But yeah, I, you know... The, the cost of things wasn't uh, something that was very. Um, it wasn't really on my mind as much. Obviously, as I've gotten older, those things are, are, are much more uh, in in the daily thought process. But I was pretty. I guess I was pretty naive and just very uh, determined. Mm-hmm. I just you know I knew that that's what I was going to do. There, I didn't really have any thoughts of ever going back or like oh I'm not going to work it out it's not gonna make it's not gonna work out and I'm gonna have to leave like I never thought that um which is kind of interesting to hear myself say that (laughs) but looking at the first six months how did you pay rent did you take a job so I floated around I had a few bucks saved up you know and so floated around a little but I did get a job pretty quickly through the Berkeley Connection I got a job in the mailroom of a publishing company which was called Chrysalis Music Publishing I think that got purchased up it used to, that was, it was an English company. Time, wasn't yeah, it? it was an English company. I'm pretty yeah. sure, and and I think Sony either bought yeah. them up or somebody bought them up. But um, you know, they had a pretty good catalog at the time, and I got a job as a runner. So, and again, antiquated. When uh, songwriters would do tapes, make demos of songs, they would be pitching them to artists. Someone would have to go pick them up and drive them around and deliver them to studios, deliver them to other publishing companies and stuff like that. So I had the car, you know, and I just, it wasn't even full time. I don't think, I think it was like nine to one or something like (laughs) that. And so, uh, I would go in and I would get the tapes and drive all around town and hand them off. And it was kind of cool because I was getting to know the city you know, and I had what was what's called a Thomas Guide. I don't know if you've ever heard yeah, of that, yes. but it was nice. like this. You know, again, pre yeah, pre pre GPS. It was like this massive book, <laughs> and you would have to like kind of map it out <laughs> and find you know letters and numbers correspond to the thing, and you'd go to the pages, and you always had this Thomas Guide thing, which is a really funny thing. But you know, I got to know the city, and and I did that for I don't know maybe six or nine months. And, and did you get to know the studios too, right? A or, little or bit. No, I was you know I was looked. I wasn't really. They didn't let you know talk to you very much. I mean, I got to know where they were, yeah, but, and uh, I got to kind of get a vibe of the city. And then, um, and then I had one other job uh, where I was a, an, an assistant to a music manager, and that 
I don't know, maybe lasted six months. Mm-hmm. I was terrible at it. Um, but that was, uh, and, and that was working for a, a music manager who managed Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics and managed this film composer named Michael Kamen, who was like a oh, huge yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, film yeah. composer. He was, he had also done the strings for Pink Floyd, The Wall, I think. And he was an English composer who was incredible. And they had a recording studio in Encino. So I, and I was able to kind of be around that a bit, which was really cool. Um, but yeah, those were my only two co- quote unquote real, real jobs. Real and real fortunately for me, uh, I guess it was a little less than maybe two years after moving out that I got my first tour. What, so what was that? That was a, a girl named Rebecca, mm-hmm. which was R E B E K A H. Right. Uh, of course. right. <laughs> uh, but she was, um, is, a singer-songwriter from... I think she was from New York or um, the East Coast, maybe. But um, she was signed to uh, Electra Records. Okay. And so they put a band together, and I was fortunate to kind of get in on the audition for that, and that was my first one. Um, and we did, you know, pretty much a world tour and opened up for Matchbox 20 and Third Eye Blind wow. at their heyday. You awesome. know, it was 97, 98, you know, 97, 98. And so that was kind of it, and that's that's been it. For... Prior to that, so was it like two years? You said, yeah. Year and Were you year. auditioning the whole time? Were you getting opportunities? I hadn't had any real opportunities. No, that was the first one, and which ironically came from through a friend of mine uh, named Jamie Feldman, who was who went to my high school, and he had moved out to go to USC. And he got into music management, and he was working at this management company. He was one or two years older than me. And um, he was working for a manager that managed this girl, okay. and they said, hey, we're looking for musicians, and he got me in on the audition. So um, I was always grateful for that. And uh, But it was interesting how it came from my high school in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, uh, you know, a yeah, friend yeah. from high school sure. who had moved to L.A. You know, prior to that and then who had stayed there, and he's still in the music business now. So you're batting a 1,000 right off the... Uh well, yeah, right I, I was I was fortunate, and th- there was a there's a man named Barry Squire. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah, I've got maybe those. some of the other guys mentioned him. He was kind of the unofficial mayor of of putting bands together. So you know, if a label gets a new artist and they need you know a whole band, they would call him, and he had a database of right, you know, right, a couple hundred musicians probably, and now it's I'm sure thousands, but um, and he would you know kind of get CDs together or tapes and drop them off or have these guys come pick them up and they'll say hey you know you gotta learn five songs and or whatever it would be four or five songs and you're gonna meet us at this rehearsal space and your slot is you know 11am to 11.30 or whatever right. it is and um, and he would kind of put a mixture of guys together and then they would find the bands through that and so he was that's how I first you know, got on his radar through the management company. So I got into his audition and then I got the job and then he subsequently, you know, put me up for a handful of jobs in in the the, the coming years, Mm -hmm. all of which worked out. Um, So that was, that was pretty uh, fortunate. Okay. It's funny that that was Matchbox Twenty Third Eye Blind tour. Was that just stateside? Or oh, they were. That... Yeah, there were separate tours, but oh, okay, like, I'm sorry. Like it was okay. opening from. For... I was going to say because didn't they have kind of a contentious? Uh, well, uh, you know that that was you know. <laughs> so that? we opened, I believe, for 
I think it was Third Eye first, maybe, okay. and then Matchbox after. Okay. So it was two separate two tours, separate. but you know, probably a month run each. You right, know, it wasn't right. wasn't extensive, mm-hmm. you know, stuff. But then we we went to Europe and you know with her and did a bunch of promotional stuff. And uh, but you know, the whole thing was probably about a year, maybe okay. if that. But loving it for you, were you in your, were you in your element, or were you kind of surprised it's not what I thought it was? Uh, I I didn't really know what it was, um, so it was pretty. Uh, probably pretty eye-opening, but I loved that I was getting paid to play music, like, and it was like a decent wage, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I was probably twenty-three or something, you know. Some so pretty quickly after moving out there, you know, and then having that tour under my belt felt really good. Um, I didn't, I didn't ever think that that's what I was going to do for the next twenty years, um, like play for artists, and I just. I, I honestly, at that time too, I didn't really have certain goals. I was just kind of like, okay, if someone's going to pay me to play, or you right. know, and I kept writing and, and doing stuff. But, but I would, um, you know, a lot of opportunities came up, and I would just take them, you know, because I never wanted to say no to anything because yeah. I never knew. What, you know, so that got the ball was. rolling. So just things you just go one into the next. Like yeah. what, what happens when you get off that tour when it's done? Well, that's the scary time. That that become then it becomes very scary. Yeah, you know, because you, uh, uh, unless you're really good at budgeting, to, to speak of the topics, you know, the topic, um, you know, you're going to have anywhere from, I mean, it could be a couple months, yeah. you know, or more. It yep. could be a half a year before you get another tour. Um, Did you have anybody in your ear to tell you? Like save it, even if it's your dad or you know an industry. I'm sure, person my parents or... told me to save it. Now, whether I heard them was a whole other story. Or anybody in the industry that would say, "Listen, I've been there. I've been doing this for I, twenty I'm, years." I'm sure everyone told yeah, me because so. that's what everyone tells to younger people, you know. Um, but people trying to play music don't usually listen to that kind of talk, mm-hmm. and it's also, you know, you get you get into a cycle of of equipment and gear purchases, which is, you know, somewhat justifiable. Um, and for one minute you've got money in your pocket and you can afford to buy a Les Paul or whatever it may be, you know, or these new cool pedals or a great amp. And But, you know, if you come off the road and you have some money in the bank and you make a couple purchases, that's going to go real quick. Um so I think that's one of the toughest parts about doing this is, mm-hmm. is being able to budget and, you know, have have a foresight of, okay, well, all right, there's going to be a month here where there's nothing going on, or there's going to be three months where there's nothing going on, or yeah. or you could say, okay, I'm going to, and some guys do this, you know, they'll teach, or, or they will mm-hmm. slide into some other thing where, whether it's go play cover gigs, right. which was a, a thing that people do, doesn't pay very much. But, you know, you can grab a couple, yeah. you know, buck 50, 200, whatever it is, a night and and string together some extra, some money that'll kind of keep you floating uh, for those times. Um, but, yeah, that's that's a tough thing when you come off that first tour and you don't. And then, you know, if the artist isn't super successful or if they don't really have anything booked yet. Right. You know, because you don't know. I mean, when when you're going... It seems like it won't end, and it seems like okay. Well, maybe they'll take a break, and you know, we'll make an album or do this or that. But you know, that's when you start learning 
a lot about the segregation between touring and record making, right. which can happen in, and does happen a lot in uh, you know for guys like like right. myself, right. Um, which I didn't. I guess I didn't ex- probably. That was one thing that was a little unexpected, you know, in terms of you know playing live with an artist and then a tour ends and then they go make a record, but you're not with a part of it. Right. You know, you have no uh, part of that. What makes more money? Would the studio, would the session guy make more money, or would the touring guy make more money? Touring. Okay. I mean, the the rates change all the time. I mean, and I, I guess I'm asking in context of 1990. Oh, now back then, seven. back then, oh maybe maybe look if you're if you were a, a, a top five guy doing sessions back then, sessions would probably pay you more. Okay. Um, Mid 80s, different. You know, I wasn't in it, but I've heard you know the, the how mu- they would spend a lot of money on these tours. Yeah. Um, but that has obviously shifted a lot too in the in the last yes. fifteen years, where bands used to make their money from records, and then they would tour to support the albums. And if they break broke even on the tour or whatever, they lost a little. It didn't matter because they were making so much on the record sales. It's completely flip flopped now. Yeah. And if you want to make money, you got to get out and tour. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just there's no two ways about it. Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting how it, it has shifted. Um, but you know, and it is something to talk about, you know, what makes more or, or not, you know, I would be, you know, honestly, there were times where I was envious or jealous or whatever you want to call it of certain artists that I had worked with younger, smaller artists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they would get a record deal and they would get these types of things and I would, you know, think I deserved it or whatever it may be. But now that I've been in this for a long, long time, and fortunately I've sustained, you know, a career, there are people who, you know, were signed to, to you know, major labels. Uh, they made some money, but uh, I'm in a better position now because right. I've continued to longevity to, to work. And, and, and they, you know, they probably did really, really, really well for a, hand, a couple of years and then not much at all for a handful of years. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it, it's tough. You know, it, it, it can, you know, there's there's positives and negatives to both sides of that. But, um, you know, being able to play music for a living is a blessing. There's no, you know, there's no way around that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're not, if you're not getting up and, and at least every couple of days going, pretty fortunate. Right. Yeah, I think you got some. Yeah, I think you got problems if you don't if yeah. you don't look at it like that. Well, it's funny that I guess in a in a year or two later, the um, new radicals happened. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting case because Greg Alexander, the lead, you know, who is I guess the new radicals. It was a band that was described as a shuffling, you know. Band yeah, th- I, I never liked that. But he touring. he didn't like he hated to. Well, here's the story. I mean, at least online, he didn't like touring. He kind of gave up the whole thing just to write and produce and do what right. he does. Correct. Um, what was that ex- what was that experience like, you know, you started to say you didn't like the either description of that or what Well was that's the on the Wikipedia, right? Okay. That, like that's well I there. feel like I've heard that the evolving door the, yeah, band. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I never liked that because it's not true. Uh, every live show that the New Radicals ever played was consistent Brad band. on guitar, Sasha on bass uh, Stewart on drums Greg was obviously the lead singer Danielle sang and, and played percussion and myself mm-hmm. um, there were no other people playing in that band live 
yes, the recordings were completely different, and I had nothing to do with making that album, for sure, but I think it's silly to say that it was a revolving door band, because right. it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. When right. We played for maybe 10 months. The whole thing, in a word, that experience is very bittersweet. It, it, that's, you know, it was, in, in ways, everything I had always wanted, and then, in ways, very disappointing. Was it in ways that you wanted that was a great album, that was a hit album, so you're out on the road with, with people are singing songs that are, you know... It's an incredible thing and experience to go from playing a song in a rehearsal room that no one's heard to playing it in front of 50 people, then 150 people, then 5,000 people, then on a television show, and to go from selling... You know, from from an album coming out to zero to a million mm-hmm. in six months, yeah. and like I stated, I had no part of the album process, but I was there for all the shows yeah. and all the live performances and on the bus and you know all that, and it felt and and it was also portrayed to us as a band feel. You know, we're in the photos. Uh, you know, we did photo shoots. We were on all the performances, um, front and center. Mm-hmm. And there were there were a lot of things about that that felt like a band. I also didn't. I was naive too to to understand that the way that management people management some management company uh, people and people in bands will sell you on the idea that you're a part of something uh, when you may or may not be as much a part of it as it feels. Right. Um, that being said. Yeah, uh, it was an incredible experience. Um, I have, I made lifelong friends. I mean, Brad and I have been friends for 20 years. And our arc, which is really, I think, great in terms of that we played together 20 years ago, um, not only just remaining friends, which is a feat in and of itself, um, you know, very close uh, as friends, but then got to play together in other musical situations, and now we're we're playing together every night again. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool, uh, and and I think pretty rare um, in terms of you know guys that, that kind of ping pong around. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but we you know we were in our mid twenties and young, and 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 had it be we're part of a hit thing, and it was most of what you think that feels like yeah, it, yeah. It, we experience that but then also to have it go away very very quickly was was difficult um, and how did it go away or how, how did it dissolve well you? as you said uh, it's very you know without getting into the theories the simplicity of of it was that Greg said we need to have a band meeting um, I was at my house we, we went to, to, to breakfast and then we went back to my house and he said guys I don't want to I don't want to tour anymore and uh, he said uh, you know in a couple of weeks this is it you know and uh, and we weren't really given much of explanations or, or, or you know details it was kind of that was it it was his decision and it was his to make of course and and that was kind of the end of that. What was your visceral reaction to that? Um, probably a little shocked, <clears throat> disappointed, frustrated. I, I believe we had a tour booked to go to Japan. We were about ready to go to Japan and do other things. And 
it's one of the most curious moves ever made in the music business without sounding too grand. Mm -hmm. But I don't know of any other person on the way up during the ascent to pull the plug in such a, a definitive way. Right. You know, um, have you stayed in touch at all? I haven't spoken to him in a few years. Uh, we, we talked a couple times after. Didn't he did end up, uh, winning a Grammy for Game of Love? Yeah. For Michelle, which I don't know if you guys were working together at that time. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, I was a part of, you know, Michelle's, I was her musical director at the time. Oh, great. Yeah. So that, you know, he, you know, and he's gone on to do, I mean, amazing. He's written incredible songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was, that's it. And it's, it's also tough in, in ways, it's not hard, but uh, because it's such a great album, people still talk about it all the time. And because I think because of the way that it ended, it gets brought up, especially now that Brad and I are together all the time, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a band and an album that gets brought up quite often. And well, again, so, there's a lot of mystery behind it. You tons know, of mystery. Not a lot of yeah. definitive it, facts around it. But, you know, I'll never forget when I heard Kit Would You Give? I instantly knew that it was special, I, and I knew that I wanted to be a part of it. Um, I, was that a similar uh, audition thing? Did you? Was it a? Yeah. So that's where Brad and I met on the audition. We were standing together at SIR in, in LA, and there were a couple different guys, groups of guys, and I think they had different guitar players going in with different keyboard players at different times. And I, he and I, kind of looked at each other and we said. And when are we going together? You know, we kind of just instantly had a yeah, yeah. had a, a connection and a vibe. And so I don't know if we were scheduled to go together, but we we organ you know created a way so that we could go and play together. And, and it, it obviously was it felt good. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's twenty twenty one years ago. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I don't want to pass over Michelle. Is there anything? Uh, was Michelle your first MD? Uh, yes, experience? it was. It was Michelle's. Michelle was great. That was another really fortunate situation to. And even before that, I just had to. You know, if we're going to go chronologically, Tal right. Bachman was in between those two, and he had a huge hit. She's so uh, high. She's so high. So basically, three out of four years, ninety eight, ninety nine, and then two thousand one, I was able to be in the mix on a few huge songs. Um, then Michelle had um, you know, everywhere and all you wanted and all that stuff. So again, it was a really organic progression with her. Um, started from nothing. We played to like seventeen people in Philly the first right. night, and probably eight of them were my family. <laughs> and uh, and you know a year later we were opening up for Bon Jovi at Giant Stadium. Wow. You know so uh, Michelle was great. She was um, I think she was about eighteen. Yeah. You know. I mean I think that's and. Um, you know, uh, a couple of my other friends were, were in that band as well. And so uh, that was a great experience. Um, you know, I still text with her. Mm-hmm. You know, she just had another kid. And um, it was, uh, and then obviously Brad came, you know, so I started that band um, in that band with a, with a couple other guys. And then uh, one of the guitar players left and um, Brad came in. How did you hook up with that band to begin with? At such an early stage. Well, there was it was a dual thing because Barry Squire did the audition. However, I was already kind of in the. I had written a song with Michelle when she was sixteen, and her one of her managers uh, was a very good friend of mine, 
uh, who I went to Berkeley with, um, and, and kind of he was in the mix on her A and R and consulting and stuff. So I was a little bit on the inside of that, which was fortunate. Um, but yes, again, you know, it was a Barry audition, but I actually went in with the bulk of the band as a like I said can I bring in a band that I think would be great mm -hmm. so instead of us going in individually and waiting in the hall with like a hundred guys we came in as a, a unit yes. and, um, and, and and that worked out right yeah. okay alright cool um, and then uh, forgive me for skipping around if I skip anything you, good bring it up yeah sure no, no. Um, but I just bring up a, a couple of things because there's a little bit of you know cross you know, cross-referencing to some of my previous guests um, but in 2004 again in the MD role was Cher yeah no I didn't MD Cher okay I I her MD needed Which, to take a break his name's okay. Paul Mirkovich and he and I worked together for years after that but he had been on the road for a long long time and then he had some stuff he had to take care of back at home so he they were looking for someone to uh, replace him for the last few months of this tour, it it ended up extending, uh, but because it was the farewell tour, it was, which it was had already been going, well, it's a well, farewell tour, it's still just... going on, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, that was the, the, the great irony is that you know it was a farewell tour in two thousand four and five, and you know it's still going on. But it's no, it was um, that was a great experience because it was a very different musical experience, you know, because there was jazz and you know there were jazzy things. It was kind of. You know, much more of a production mm -hmm. uh, than I had been a part of, and they were running using some tracks and kind of very um, organized musically, um, which was uh, more reliant on kind of you know click tracks and yep. just kind of you know playing to track. We played with some tracks with Michelle, but that the way that it that it goes with the share show is it you know everything's mapped out. Yeah, it's all choreographed with, with uh, video screens, and and we we were working with you know a much bigger production. Huge production, bigger production than I had ever uh, been a part of. But I, so did you I, adapt easily to that? Um, I don't know. Are there you any know, like, oh, honestly, <laughs> I I I really enjoyed playing with her, but I don't know if that was the best fit for me mm -hmm. as a player. Um, I thought I sang well. I did. I sang a duet with That's her, right. and there were you know, that took a little getting used to because it was kind of intimidating. And the first time I did it was in front in front of twenty thousand people, like in a you know big stadium in, in Mexico City, um, or arena rather. But uh, you know, this is one thing I, I try to tell you know younger side men or players, like we all have our wheelhouse, right? And as much as everyone wants to, th to think that you can float in and out of everything, mm -hmm. um, there are ones that you're going to feel more comfortable on than others just because of your influence or your your, your playing style or whatever right. it may be and um, you know there are ones that that definitely felt like okay this this is a really good fit for me I really feel the music and I can and you know like I love Tears for Fears they're one of my favorite bands I don't know I think I would be great in it but I don't know like if if you know at my skill set like right, right. you know as a player I'm just using them as an example yeah, like yeah. you know um, you know or Billy Joel like one of my heroes like you know he plays the piano so I'd have to play if I were playing with him I'd play you know keyboards or second guitar or whatever it may be and I don't know how great that would be um, certain ones just have a 
you know, a, a better fit. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the share job was, was hard, you know, for me. I had to really practice a lot um, because, you know, some of the keyboard stuff was really technical. And uh, Paul, who I was, you know, kind of filling in for, is like a monster player. Um, so I had to kind of go back to some classical type things mm-hmm. and some jazz type things. Plus, um, the kinds of keyboards that it was like a dual keyboard setup, which I had never done before. <laughs> you, should have done the, you know, the whole kind of yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was took some getting used to. Um, but uh, but again, a great experience, and and she was a class act just all the way through. And I always had a fond fond memories and I played with her again I think in 2009 when she started the Vegas stuff I filled okay. in for a little while as well well it's interesting because there's, a, there's a, a few segues into the next thing um, one is Barry Squire because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, um, Eva Gardner I, I talked to her she said um, she brought up the Barry to me he, he got her an audition for Rockstar in Excess mm. and I know Rockstar in Excess is um, that's where Paul was or actually, you tell me. Like, how did that? How did that come about for you? Um, that was another thing where I was fortunate to have a person, a friend, who was working on the production. Um, I forget what he was doing, casting or something mm-hmm. like that. And he said, "Hey, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna put a band. They're gonna put a band together for the show." Um, I was out on tour with Cher. But Paul Mirkovich was was home, and he was in the mix, you know, pretty heavy, uh, and and so what what I was told was, and then I, I don't recall to, to be honest how I knew and Barry was a part of it too, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of put put it all together, but I don't remember the who called me first or right. how how it worked out, but the the idea was that they they wanted to have bands that that came in as a unit. Um, that kind of knew each other or, or, you know, had played together in lieu of just looking at, you know, a thousand guys mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. So that, that, the idea was, I think there were eight, they got, got it down to eight bands. Paul put a band together. Um, Gilby Clark put a band together. Um, there were a handful of guys, a lot of seven guys that put it together. And then I put a band together and they allowed me to kind of put, put a group of guys together so we went in as as bands and then they ended up kind of cherry picking <laughs> from those bands uh but sasha from the new radicals was in was actually in mine and paul's band that's how smooth he is he's the smoothest dude ever but he was in like four of the eight bands like somehow he got, he was like gonna be on that show no matter what so but yeah we went in and and um you know did did that and then that um what was cool about that was uh, I I had heard and I had gathered that Paul would, would get the job as a musical director and it was a little strange because like he hired me for share but then I was like kind of up against him mm-hmm. for this thing um, and I didn't want to you know kind of ruffle that at all but also I was trying to you know you know it was a good opportunity so I had we did the auditions and, and I had heard that they they loved Paul but they also really liked me and I think that they weren't sure if we were because we both kind of brought bands in as MD, you know, as MDs that that we couldn't work together or something. Right, and right. I thought, well, that's silly. And so I, you know, Paul's an amazing keyboard player, but he's not really a guitar player. 
And I thought, well, because the makeup of the band was a, a lead guitar, a rhythm guitar, bass, drums, and, and keyboards. And so uh, I called Paul and I said, why don't we have a coffee? And we sat down and I said, look, I, I would love to do this thing with you. And, you know, I, I, you know you can, you'll be the MD, of course. And, uh, but maybe I, can, maybe I can help and just kind of be there as a, you know, as a right-hand guy and play guitar mm-hmm. um, and that's what we did so it was great and um, you know just I, that was I thought it was great of, of Paul to be open to, to doing that with me and um, we, we worked really well together for, for a while so it was, it was good um, did you enjoy the fact that you were staying put you're in LA sure um, did it pay better than an Another job would being a TV show, or yeah, they, it paid well. Yeah, the yeah, TV show screw the musicians again. <laughs> no, the, the, that show paid well. I mean, it's a you know, and uh, TV usually pays pretty well. Yeah, so kind of gathered. Um, yeah, it's funny. Eva, Eva kind of mentioned it as it kind of it led to her meeting or someone ref- remembered her from that. Mm. I think Justin, who plays with them now, mm-hmm. um, so. Obviously, they didn't get the gig, but she said it was valuable because people did yeah. start calling them. So it sounds like it really was kind of a who's who going after that gig. Yeah, yeah. It was a... Or at least, I mean, you know. you know, if you were in the mix on that, it, you were probably one of the... I mean, it was 100 guys, you know. I, I, and what, it's funny, too, because I'm curious. I was going to ask you, you know, in your in your uh, research and, and in your um, doing this podcast, one of the things I'm always curious about is the numbers in terms of how many people are doing this at a at a high level? Are they making six figures? Or I mean, you know, what mm-hmm. what's the kind of range? You know, um, because it's it's a discussion that gets talked about a lot in terms of you know, I mean, music and sports. I can I know are completely different. However, you know, there's there's celebrity in in, in both things, and you know, everybody else talks about money, and but it's like. You know, there, there's 32 football teams, right? And they they've got you know, yeah, know 63 guys on each team, and it's like, you know, okay, so if you're trying to be a quarterback, you know, maybe most teams carry two to three, mm-hmm. so there's maybe like there's less than 100 guys that get to be in the NFL, and um, you know, in music, you know, bands that play to three to ten thousand people a night. There's not that many, yeah. You know yeah, yeah. that. I mean, this tour that we're doing, you know, Goo Goo Dolls and Train, it's a, it's a big tour. You know, there's a handful of guys that are they're in a pool. You know, in in New York and L.A. and Nashville, um, but I don't know what the numbers are. You know, yeah. and, and it's hard to get those <laughs> numbers. You know, because I mean, it's like tax returns, maybe, but then you're, you know, you're you're kind of looking at other you know things because guys are getting income from. Maybe it's teaching or, right, or, or right. studio stuff, but in terms of just guys who get out on the road and play music, or and or studio stuff too, mm-hmm. you know, it's like but but meaning their sole living, their sole income comes right. from playing, recording, and and or writing songs, even though that might be a, like a little bit on the outside, yeah. but you know, to, to me. Uh, it, it's fascinating, and I would I'd be really curious to know, like, 
where where they are, and because just you know you know you, yeah. you want to know kind of where you rank, and you know if you can if there's that many, and also to be to to be fair and to tell kids at Berkeley and and USC all these places that are that are wanting to do this, like hey, like there's X amount of spots, you know, and that's it, right? You know, because I mean I remember we had a guy come in at Berkeley, a producer. I think I was a freshman or sophomore, and he, you know, in the studio, and he was like. If there were 30 kids in the class, he's like, three of you are going to do something. Right. Like, you know. And, you know, it's not to say that they can't work in music business some in some aspects. Yeah. But what he meant was, three you know, you're make a career three of, of you are going to write a song that can, that, that does something or, or, you know, be able to play at the highest level, you know, for X amount of or whatever it is. And, you know, but, and it's funny too, because when some people hear that, I'm sure some people go, oh, I'm not going to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there's like probably the top three go, well, that, I'm definitely one of the three. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, there's guys yeah, that yeah, just have sure. that yeah, blind yeah. determination. Which, <laughs> which is admirable, definitely, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's uh, it's something. Passion, you know, if you yeah. have passion towards it. You know, if you, you know that, that whole idea of having something to fall back on is, is I think, dangerous. It's a little dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can't I think you have to have the right amount of fearlessness you know to, yeah. to pursue something kind of this crazy mm-hmm. you know it's, it's that, that that there is no book or roadmap to really figure out you just kind of have to like, yeah it's kind of like I've heard that from a guest before no fallback plan just forge ahead and make it yeah, happen yeah I, I think you know is it because basically you know who Ira Glass is mm-hmm Right, so he has this amazing quote. I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said to, to do anything in the arts, uh, anything creative, is the hardest thing to do. And he said, when you're young, you can recognize greatness, but you're not great. Right, so it's like, okay, I can hear a song go, that's amazing, but you're writing a song and it's not that good. And the only way to get good is to just keep writing songs and do it and do it and do it and do it. And he said basically that. Most people quit before their ability matches their ability to know what greatness is. Right, that's and it's like, <laughs> and I, I, he's right. You know, you just keep going, mm-hmm. you, you know, and eventually you get better, you know, and you get really good and really good and really good. And then you kind of get to a level where you go, okay, I'm, I'm playing at a level that I always wanted to play at or close, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, you can always get better. But most people quit before they get there. Yeah. And if you have something over here, family business, whatever it is, something else that's easier, maybe you can pay your rent on time with or whatever it is, um, then that's going to be easier to quit yeah, because yeah. you have something else over here. But if you don't have anything, you just... Well, it's funny you say that in your experience being a, you know, a professional musician, do you see a lot of scenarios where the band you're playing with, the original members, you know, like... Google Dolls, for instance, I, they're, maybe they're a bad example. They're only a trio. But, you know, do you see, like, the original members of some of these bands are just, like, they never really expected to make it in the first place? Like, I'm, I'm a shitty drummer. I, you know, I tried to do something when I was in my, you know, late 20s. But had we make it, I would have been the weakest link to that band. And I might have, you know, done it for a year or two and think, like, I'm going to go back to my, you know, my old life. Do you see that a lot when you're 
Um, you know, it's, it's, if there's a band of four or five guys, there's always those one or two that I've heard about shared it, shared the vision and got it, and the other two are kind of like, I'm going to go back to. I've heard about it. I think it also depends on the success of the band, and and I've heard about. I believe, if I'm correct, Poison. They were all from Pittsburgh area, mm-hmm. and they it was Brett, CC. I'm sorry, Brett, Bobby, and Ricky from from Pittsburgh, and moved out with another guitarist, I believe. And they were kind of making their way on the Sunset Strip and kind of getting going. And then I think as they were just about to kind of get a record deal and some stuff, the guy said, "Hey, man, this is this is not for me. Right. I'm, I'm going back." Now they didn't. He hadn't made it yet. Yeah, yeah. But I've heard these types of things, mm-hmm. and, and I know that other guys and bands they get to a certain level and they go, "Listen, man, I, I'm I'm done no. with this. You know, <laughs> and make a couple mil or something. You go, you know, right. I'm, I'm moving back to, you know." to Kansas and I'm gonna you know just do something else yeah uh, it happens um, but not not too many guys I know okay um, how did you get uh, the Paul Stanley gig that was through Rockstar actually okay uh, well well I know he, he sort of he used your band as a touring band correct? well and, and I always felt bad about this there's an amazing guitar player I'm sure you've seen on if you if gone to YouTube. His name is Pete Thorne. He's a he does um he's one of the biggest YouTube gear mm-hmm. guitar players. I uh, but he's an incredible musician and a great guitar player. Um he called me and I guess someone had put him Paul Stanley in touch with him and he was gonna be one of the guitar players for this this tour and he called me and said, Hey do you wanna do this thing and Paul Stanley wants to talk to you and um I said okay so then Paul Stanley got on the phone with me and he had been watching the show, and then he said, "Hey, you know, I'm putting this t- thing together. Would the whole band want to do it?" And I said, "Well, I can't see why they wouldn't." But then, as a result, Rafael Moreira, who was on the show, was lead guitar, and and Pete didn't end up doing it. It was only about a month worth of work, but right, you know, right. whatever it was, you know, five weeks. But um, I just felt bad about that because Pete is the one who called me initially. <laughs> But then Paul Stanley says what he says, and you know yeah. you don't say no to Paul Stanley. So, but that was um, was a great experience, um, and honestly, one of the my favorite musical days that I can remember uh, was we had a rehearsal in Los Angeles, um, and uh, with Paul Stanley in the morning, and there's an artist named Mark Broussard. I don't know mm-hmm. if, if you're familiar with him, yeah. but he's an amazing singer, just one of the best singers, soul singer uh, from from Louisiana. And I had worked with him over the years. Um, I had played on records with him, and I've produced and written songs with him. Uh, and whenever he would come through to the Troubadour or to LA, he would play the Troubadour almost every time. And a lot of the times they wouldn't bring a keyboard player with them, but if I was around, they'd ask me to come and play, uh, bring my Wurlitzer down, and so. I got a call from his drummer. I think it was that morning. No heads up. You know, he was like, "Hey, we're playing the Troubadour tonight. You know, do you want to want to come play with us?" And I was like, "Yeah." And so, um, you know, I had the morning playing Kiss songs on guitar with Paul Stanley, and then I went over to the Troubadour and played a set with Mark on the Whirly, which is a very different musical experience. <laughs> yeah, you know, two completely different <laughs> musical experiences. But it was a great. It was an amazing day. Um, and uh, you know, to do those within a twelve-hour period was was pretty yeah, special, yeah. and not 
not a lot of people get to do that, you know. So that was probably yeah, that was in two thousand six. But um, yeah, that was a fun fun day. It sounds like it. Quickly, MD with Weezer. Was that just for like a promotional thing? No, I was. Uh, I worked with them off and on for five years. Oh wow! Yeah. Now, how do you become an MD for like a? Yeah, I feel like a personality like Rivers Cuomo. <laughs> that's a that's a good really question. good question. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that's a tough one, man. Those guys are are an incredible band, and I I still think no matter how much success they have, I still think he's underrated. Mm-hmm. Like I think he's a musical genius, like no question about it. Um, his guitar playing is amazing. His lyric writing and melodies. Yeah, um, it was a, a trip working with them. Uh, sometimes I, I felt like I, I didn't know what I was doing there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, uh, but also there are ways. You know, when you have bands that have been together as long as they have, sometimes a musical director is there to be a, a, a kind of a go-between. Mm-hmm. You know, between certain members of the band, or you know, just it's just to have an outside opinion because. One of the things that people don't understand about musical direction, like it, it's a strange term and it's not a term that, that people know outside of the business. Um, you know, when you go into a recording studio, you have a producer, you know, a band has a producer and someone is there to kind of guide the ship and steer it and make sure that, that every, you know, you're getting to where you got to get. And then a band can, you know, do make an album and then they get into a rehearsal studio. Well, who's the captain? You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you know a band will have one usually one visionary or two guys that kind of you know steer the ship but that can also get frustrating to for one or the other guys and it's also good to have an outside opinion um that kind of can look at a big picture of something and say okay look you guys are obviously great you know blah 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 but from my perspective because you know when you're in the band you're not watching it. Yeah. You can't see it yeah. the way that someone can see it from 20 feet away. So that was that was kind of a, a different kind of musical director. That was the first time I was really a musical director for a, a larger band where I wasn't playing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, a, and a part of it. Um, but uh, it was very valuable uh, experiences for me. And um, I mean, I love their catalog. It was just, yeah, yeah. just so great. And uh, I just saw them last summer. Did that, um, did that, uh, go into, they toured once where, um, the drummer took over on guitar? Yeah, that was around that time. Yeah, so Josh Freeze was playing drums. I did play with them initially on, on some promotional materials, some things, like Kimmel and, and, and some television appearances, but, um... In that setup? Yes, with, with, with okay. Josh on drums. And that was partially because, um, the song that the single had a couple different guitar parts going on so they kind of needed a little extra there and um, I think Rivers was not playing guitar that that was okay. what it was because he decided for a handful of months or whatever or however long that he was just going to sing mm-hmm. and kind of take a break from guitar so that was that was part of that that situation um, but yeah that was 2009 and, and, and I worked with them off and on through probably like through 13 yeah. okay yeah that's interesting to hear um, and then Kind of side projects. I know, at, not, well, side projects is probably not the way to describe it, but Purple Tongue Records. Yeah. That was a, your own label or your own... You well, know, basically, that, that was just a, a name. Basically, we, there was a recording studio that my friend owned, and uh, this is before I built a place, but my 
a, a couple of my buddies and I had always wanted to kind of go in on a uh, on a on a, a studio, mm-hmm. writing and producing songs and kind of create something. Um, and so, another friend of ours had a studio that was for rent, and the and then four of us kind of went in on it together, and we kind of created a, a name. And we, you know, we worked with a handful of different artists, but it was unfortunate in the se- in the sense that timing wise, um, like a couple months after that started, I got another touring job, okay. and I kind of. I don't want to say I bailed on him, but I, you know, I had to, you know, I got this opportunity and it was a, you know, good job. And, and, um, and so I wasn't able to kind of put the time in, in, in town, right. Uh, to kind of really focus on it. And one of the other guys also kind of was splitting time between Phoenix and LA. So it was like half the time the studio was just kind of hanging out, you know, and Mm -hmm. it was, uh, it, it was a little bit of a failed attempt uh, but we, you know, Which one we, of your one of these guys, Rob. Yeah, Valier? Rob, Rob Valier. Yeah, okay. he's he's one of my my best friends and an amazing songwriter. And um, you know, I've known him since Berkeley as well. Okay, yeah. I just bring it up because um, it didn't have context when I found that you had a quote unquote business partner. So I was thinking, okay, what? So the business is still music. Yeah, we were just basically we would have uh, you know artists that came in that we would write songs and produce with uh, for. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. And, you know, we had this studio. Um, and now you then, continue with Green Hill that you Yeah, so, have. so basically, you know, after that, you know, because I was touring so much, I said, you know, I, guys, I can't, I can't do this. But then uh, a couple of years later, I ended up building a, a, a place, um, you know, on, on my property. So that became, you know, the, the main place that I made records. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I still write with Rob all the time. You know, any, t- any chance I get to write with him, we, we love writing together. We have the same, you know, kind of musical styles. And, right. and we've got about at least an album's worth of stuff that hasn't been released. And, you know, with, with me singing and, and some of the other artists too. But, um, you know, we, we started working on something um, in, in 17, gosh, I think. And, uh, and we have a, a handful of songs that, that are we really love. But... It's just been hard to kind of figure out how to put them out and, and to, to focus on that because of all the other things that, that we're doing. And obviously now that I'm, I'm working with the Goo Goo Dolls, yeah. it's, it's take, takes up the bulk of, of the time. Is your, what's your Goo Goo Doll commitment now? I know you guys are in well, the halfway I, I, through a I mean, I'm tour. a full-time, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not a, you know original member, but I'm a, I'm a full-time you know, player in this band. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, I, we just made an album, which I was a part of. Mm-hmm. Which was great, and um, comes out in the fall, and the single is out now, which I sang on, and um, so you know, what's great is this this situation is probably the closest thing to uh, to to an all encompassing band. Okay, you know, for 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 guys like me, you know, there, there's a handful of these. Um, and and ones obviously that you you know can really feel the music and, and, and enjoy and all that stuff. So this is a really great um, this is a great band and, and I'm I'm really enjoying being a part of it and everybody's great and you know we've become really good friends and you know, we all have daughters you know almost all of us have have daughters so yeah. Um, Craig was a, saying it helps you're an East Coaster you know it yeah you know, you know yeah. what the winters are like you're from like a working class area well john lives in new jersey now you know so okay. and so he, and then robbie's in new york or you know and um but it's 
you know, there, there's familiarity. And also, I worked with them 10 years ago, too, obviously. But uh, but it's been really great. And obviously, to have Brad every day is, is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, because we, we tool around. And, and Were you guys in Europe this spring? We were in Europe Opening for last, Bon Jovi? No, we're we're coming up. Uh, we're we're going to be in South America opening for Bon Jovi okay. in, in late September. Okay, that'll um, be interesting because you guys go you go way back with Bon Jovi with uh, who did you say opened up for Bon Jovi when you played with? Oh, Michelle Branch. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That and there's a whole other story that we probably won't have time <laughs> for. But yeah, I I was a big Bon Jovi fan when I was younger, and 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 there was um, you know, I, I'm familiar with with. The, that camp a little and then mm-hmm. Phil X who, who plays in, oh, yeah. in the band is a really good friend of mine so it'll be fun to hang with those guys and see them I bet um, and those should be pretty cool shows like <laughs> they'll be pretty big yeah I look forward to that but yeah we, we've got this tour through the end of August or August 17th I think 18th and then we have a little bit of time off and then we'll go out with them and then I, I think we're doing um I think we're going to do keep touring you know, yeah, throughout the, the rest of the year. Coming out in the fall, you said. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll probably do some more touring then as well. All right. Well, I wrap up every show with the same five questions that everybody gets. Oh, so okay. Let's go there. First question. Apologies to everyone in LA because it's it started as a hypothetical question, but it comes all too real lately. But it's if your house is on fire, everyone is out safe. Pets are out safe. What do you run back in and get that has the most sentimental value that? Are you talking musical things or, or well, it has anything? to do with, well, musical, not yeah. necessarily instruments, but if it's just something like whatever, whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, I'd probably grab. There are two guitars that that are pretty special to me. Um, I've become less and less uh, emotional about instruments because <laughs> I've gone through a lot in my life, you know. With, with purchases and, and things that I've been fortunate enough to get through endorsements and stuff but then you know getting rid of stuff and getting new stuff but there's a I have a 1955 Gibson J50 and that's pretty great that's like a pretty special acoustic guitar and given the fact that it's 70 years old I'd probably grab that there's a a 74, 75 Tele Deluxe. Mm-hmm. Those are the two main, okay. probably, guitars. You know, it's kind of hard to bring, grab a piano, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, if it was easy to, for me to grab the Whirly, I would grab the Whirly. Right. But if I had two hands, I'd probably just grab grab those two things. But obviously, you know, children and pets. Yeah, uh, they're out they're Do you yeah. have any, do you keep any keepsakes? Like, do you have the first ticket stub to a concert that you were on stage playing to? Or any, you know, um, your first laminate or anything? I don't know if I have stubs, but I try to keep all the laminates. I have, the, I, I gave one of my sisters, I gave a collage of stuff two years ago. And it's like in kind of a, a case a thing. thing. I don't know what what's in there. But I try to keep all the laminates from all the years. I have a handful of um, gold and platinum albums that That's I was great. fortunate to be a part of. Cool. Those are pretty cool. Yeah. You know, stuff from you know Michelle or Avril. And, um, you know, I, I'm not too much of a keepsake guy that way. Like, I have friends that that have everything. Yeah. Tour books, like from yeah. every. I mean, I, th- <laughs> I have a handful of it, but uh, I wasn't as uh, as careful with that. I, I had I. Now that I'm here, you know, at this age, and with my daughter, I kind of wish I had all of it. Um, But, you know, the pictures, like, you know, Mm -hmm. now it's all on a laptop and a hard drive. But 
pictures from that time are, are pretty special yeah. to me. Yeah, That's those great. types of things. My question two is, if I were at Liberty, if you a million dollars to then give to one charity, which charity would you donate it to? Oh, wow, that's a really good question. Well, my wife and I are, are dog rescue people. Um, not nothing against humans but because yeah. <laughs> if, if it was a human I would probably go I'd probably go with cancer because I just think mm. that that is a, such a horrible disease but that being said like we're such dog lovers you know mm. and we we have two dogs and we, we lost one of our dogs last year two years ago and it was really really hard on us and you know I always said if, if we had a, a, a surplus of money I'd, I'd get kind of a large swath of land and kind of get a bunch of dogs and let, let them run free. So maybe it'd, it'd be some kind of a dog rescue situation. I mean, you know, we just got our, our, our newest dog from Turkey, from Istanbul. Oh my Turkey. gosh, really? Yeah, which was rescued from there. And, you know, so that that's something that we, we both really uh, are passionate about. Okay, that's cool. Uh, question three is, what would your walk-up music be to the Pearly Gates? Walk-up music? Oh. Well, here's a funny one. My sister's husband, he, he does a lot of touring. And um, before every tour, he, he drinks a shot of whiskey and puts on Here I Go Again by Whitesnake. <laughs> Here I Go Again on my own. So I might steal that from him because that's kind of pretty funny to kind of, you know, head off into head the off sunset. Into the, uh, internal, but, uh, you know, I... I I'll, I'll go with that. Okay. Just that's, it's good. It's got a good of, visual. It's kind of funny. It's got a good visual. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, the reverse of that is what would be stuck on repeat in hell? Oh, God. There's a lot of songs that get under my skin. Man. Does it have to be a song? Uh, I mean, people have used jingles before and... Is there a certain noise? Well, I, <laughs> I, I'm not... I'm going to decline that one because... You know what's so funny? I've had histories in times where where I'll say something disparaging about an artist and then I'll get a phone call <laughs> and, then I'll have to, and then I'll go play with them. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll skip that one. That's fine. That's fine. I've, 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 we've come to that before. Uh, and last but not least, is what concert? Uh, what's your favorite concert you've experienced as a fan or as a musician yourself? You've been privy to so many, maybe even private things, or somebody rehearsing or noodling or practicing so is there anything that you were like this has been a priceless moment that I'm witnessing I mean I love Billy Joel I got to see him when we were in the New Radicals one of the things we were in a city and, and, and we had the night off and they said Billy Joel's playing and you guys can go and that was pretty great I saw him again I've seen him a couple times he's he's one of my all time favorite artists also you 2 mm-hmm I mean, and these are kind of lame answers, probably. But um, well, Craig mentioned you too. He said it was like going to church, and I've yeah. heard that expression. Yeah, a people say that times. about Springsteen too. I love Springsteen, um, being you know uh, as a writer. Uh, but let me let me try to think if there's some kind of smaller musical thing uh, that well, Prince. I maybe I have to put Prince because because that yeah, seeing him, you know, I don't think it gets much better than that guy. Yeah, I think. I'd probably put him at the top, maybe, okay. as it, you know, being in the in the room. I never got to kind of do one of those, like, go to his party and hear, you know, kind of see that, because I have friends that have been, been able to experience that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I'd probably put him up at, the, at least top three. Yeah, yeah. I know. We've heard, we've heard that before too. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, listen, I can't I can't thank you enough for giving me your time. This oh, no worries, really, man. This is yeah. Fantastic. Good. Thank yeah, you. and if you you know if you have any other stuff you want to shoot me an email or whatever, if there's anything specific you need to ask me, I'm I'm always around. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you, Jim McCorman. I love guests like that, but as I said in the intro, I just wish we had more time. Didn't get to a touch upon his time with Ever Levine or his collaboration with David Lee Roth. It was a great conversation nonetheless, and I can't thank Jim enough for coming on the show. You can keep up with Jim on Instagram and Twitter and see his credits for yourself at jimmcorman.com. As for our little podcast, you can help make it bigger by subscribing and leaving us a rating on Apple Podcasts. For news, photos, and updates, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be back next week with what turned out to be four-fifths of a popular band that was born out of my alma mater, Syracuse University. So come back and join us for that. All right, episode 60 has been signed, sealed, and delivered. Good night, Cleveland. <laughs>